You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras. Now, it's summertime, and that means it's time to start thinking about getting our trail cameras out and start capturing pictures of this velvet antler growth that we all obsess about. And our friends at Exodus are kicking things off with Velvet Fest. Long story short, Velvet Fest is the opportunity for you to win a variety of prizes just by purchasing Exodus Trail Cameras, one of the best trail cam companies in the industry. Now until July 12th, when you purchase any camera, you will be automatically entered into a drawing to win a variety of prizes from companies like Wicked Tree Gear, Maven Rifle Scopes, Tethered Tree Saddles, and of course, Exodus Trail Cameras. Be sure to follow Exodus on Facebook and Instagram, and be sure to visit ExodusOutdoorGear.com for more information. To the Huntivore Podcast, episode 25, Full Swing into Summer. Nick is running solo on this one. Summer has just begun and he has hit the ground running. He recaps the Total Archery Challenge up in Boyne, Michigan, an awesome wild game cookout with the Bowhunter Chronicle crew, and a quick run through of his camp cooking setup that has application for any DIY backcountry hunter or angler. Also, if you wouldn't mind leaving a review or a rating, that helps us get noticed, and it helps us know what you think. With that said, let's get started. Good morning, folks. How are you? It is currently 5 a.m. <clears throat> it's currently 5 a.m. here in Michigan. And uh, what am I doing up at 5 a.m. recording a podcast? Well, I'm trying to be... Uh, a better person. Um, put the challenge or the challenge was put out, or at least the uh, the attempt was to challenge yourself to do something by Mark Kenyon and um, Dan Johnson. Both of them are from the Wired to Hunt podcast, and uh, they did an episode uh, early May on goals and habits, and what are some things to help improve yourself or some things to do to help improve um yourself as a hunter or just as a you know as a person how do you become more successful that's something that mark is really into and anyway i i took that to heart and said you know what i don't have any time to do anything for me as in little projects that i've got uh the podcast it's always in the midst of how do i take time from the family 
to do this. And that, that's not the route that I wanted this to hold become. So I started getting up at 5 a.m. And I needed a trigger to get me up. So I do have the, the alarm that gets me up. And then I needed a reward to help. And that reward started out being that I would have my fresh cup of coffee ready to go using the timer um, on the percolator to get that started. So at least I had some motivation to get up. And as I've been kind of sitting with this for a couple weeks and trying to maintain getting up at 5 a.m., it's become my time where I get a chance to either head out to the shop, mess with arrows, uh, maybe look up a recipe, maybe just goof around on social media. But I've really begun to enjoy just that one hour. So uh, thank you, Mark. Thank you, Dan, for for putting that episode together, for putting that challenge out for, for us, because this has become a productive part of my day. One hour, me and a cup of coffee, and whatever I need to get done. So that's how we're going to kick off this episode um, here at 5 a.m., just getting some some stuff done. We've got a lot to recap, a lot to go over. Um, it's been a very busy couple weeks here. Um, just got back from the Total Archery Challenge in Boyne, Michigan. Um, got done uh, with school. In fact, my buddies rolled up with the camper. They said, we're not even going to put it in park. We're just going to have you jump in and hold on. So we actually left my place of employment the last day of school and headed up to Boyne, Michigan. Um, it's probably... Oh, I'd say three hours north of Grand Rapids, uh, a little bit north of the Traverse City area. And it's a really nice ski resort, but it has become now one of my favorite places to go in the summer, at least for uh, this event that's gone on. Um, the Total Archery Challenge is basically a group of I don't know, dedicated archers who have, you know, this big rig and they fill it full of foam targets and they travel around the country. Uh, it started, I think, out west and it's moved itself now across the country to where it's out on the east coast and it's even come up to Michigan. This is the, I don't know, third or fourth year that it's been up here. And this is our third year of going up and it has become a highlight of our year. It's something we talk about year round, looking forward to the next year. Um, we had our full crew of friends go up from high school, which was just a blast. So seven of us headed on up. We rented a campsite. We didn't even stay at the base of the hill. We found a campsite, oh, maybe 10 minutes away from the mountain. And so we just enjoyed time there, but they cover the entire resort with 3d targets and they position them in some really difficult shots. There's four courses in total. There's the locals course, which is ends up being the shorter of the four courses. Um, kind of like a warm up or a, a beginner's trial to the, to the total archery challenge. That's not to say that they didn't add some challenge in. Um, then you have your mountain course that your mountain ops course that is um, really based on elevation, a lot of up and a lot of down. And on that course, they really upped their game on 
hiding the targets, as in sticking them behind trees, behind stumps, putting brush in the way, making making the vitals very difficult to hit. On these foam targets, there is a scoring system. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say the scoring system and kill shots in real life line up, but at the same time, it's a great way for a hunter to base a good shot on it to say like, well, I'm going to aim for this particular part. And there are indented circles and grooves that create the scoring rings. Um, the bullseye or the smallest of the circles being the 12 ring. And then it expands out to the 10 ring. The eight ring covers the, uh, what we would consider like the full vitals or roughly the shape of the, the lungs. And then uh, you get five points for just hitting the foam. At some points, I was just lucky to hit the target. Just lucky to be able to hit foam. Because on many occasions on this course, especially on the next two courses, the Sitka and the Prime is where they really added in distance. And we're looking at a lot of shots at 60 and 70 yards. And then you start adding a little bit of elevation to that. And then we were approaching a lot of 80 and 90 yard shots. And especially the 100 yard shot on a buffalo. Luckily, we've done some preparation for this year. And we we figured, well, a couple of us figured we need some adjustable pins to help us get out to some of those distances. We didn't really want to guess anymore this year. I mean, our arrows, were they're still pretty expensive. We don't want to lose all of them all at once. But we wanted to get closer. We wanted to get become a, a bit more accurate, especially at longer ranges. Um, I picked up the Optimizer Light, and it allowed me to get out to some of those ranges, at least to the 70 and 80-yard mark, with just... A pin with a single pin and that was helpful what I had to do for getting past that 70 and 80 was I had to self make some marks or pins um, specifically I think my 80 yard pin it was halfway on the post that held the the regular pin the adjustable pin on that post there was a mark and so I able I about halfway on there, where it transitioned from a thicker piece of plastic to a thinner piece, I was able to put a dot of uh, nail polish. That was a tip given to me by a buddy, Josh. And he used his uh, girlfriend's nail polish as something to uh, to put pins on rather than white or than than white out. White out wipes wipes off after a while, where the nail polish would would stick on there. So I got halfway on the, the post for my 80 and 90. And then for the 100 yard, there was a small set screw at the bottom of the site itself, the housing. And so what I was able to do is put a dot of nail polish on that set screw. And that became my 100 yard quote unquote pin. Where I would, you know, where I would set the normal pin on whatever... I was trying to hit, I would then actually have to adjust the site housing so that I would actually drop that set screw on top of whatever I wanted to. So I actually, almost like when it came to the 100 yard, I had to flip 
upside down, at least my to my approach. Anyway, after some good practice, I did. I got myself a nice eight-point shot on a bison and 100 yards. Man, that felt good. All that work for the moment that you're like, I want to shoot at 100 yards. I want to be able to hit something at 100 yards. And I was able to be successful with that. Now, let's be honest. I'm taking a 100-yard shot at foam. The foam is not running. The foam is not uh, looking for me. These are not kill shots by any means. These are merely archery shots, archery sport shots, where I'm shooting at an animal shape. Um, We're not kidding ourselves here that we think we can then push our limits and go further out for our kill shots. This is just a great challenge to say, you know what, I've been talking a lot of game in my backyard, being able to shoot. Now I need to prove that by shooting some foam at some technical shots, either up, you know, elevated up, elevated down with a bunch of brush in the way. Can I sneak it past this tree? And it really does live up to its name challenge of the, the TAC. And so we've enjoyed that event a whole lot. And I think a lot of other folks, too. Uh, it's gotten bigger and bigger with each year that we've gone. Um, something cool that we did this year is that we've kind of gone back and forth with Bowhunting Chronicles. Um, Adam and John over from Muskegon. Uh, they're a podcast that really focuses on the technical aspect of bow hunting, or at least getting people up to speed with bow hunting. And so we've gone back and forth a bunch. And in fact, Adam had the idea of doing a wild game cookout on the Saturday, which is kind of like the, I don't know, kind of like the let loose day of the event. Um, People tend to stay out a little bit longer and, you know, get together and do a bunch of stuff. So he invited the Huntivore crew and a bunch of other folks out to a wild game cookout at the condo that uh, they're staying at. They have a condo or at least rent a condo at the base of the hill, which is super cool because when you're done shooting a course, you want nothing more than just to walk and get yourself a shower, get your boots off your feet, and get, kick on the sandals, and that's a great setup. You just walk off the hill, and there it is. Um, so yeah, we had prepared a bunch of food, and that's what I'm prepared to talk about a little bit here. Um But anyway, that event that uh, Adam and John hosted was just a great time. Um, Met several other people who've got podcasts. I've met several folks uh, through backcountry hunters and anglers that were there. And there was just a lot of other folks that just showed up that was wondering what was going on, what smells really good. And that cookout was a great kickoff event. I think this is going to be something that's going to happen it's going to be an annual event, I think, just because of how well this first round went. Tons of excellent food. Um, I believe Adam made a venison hamburger soup. That that had some real backbiting uh, taste to it. That was really, really nice. It was really thick. Um, then there was a walleye chowder from John. And John did an excellent job on that walleye chowder. Again, a thick... Um, thick style of, uh, of chowder there, kind of r- reminiscent of, uh, a New England style and big chunks of walleye that was in there 
what ended up not going into the chowder, John actually took to the grill and actually seared off a couple of fillets there. He added some some seasoning to the outside of it. Dang, that was a really good setup, John. I I appreciate you uh, donating that walleye to to the masses because I I enjoyed the fillet, and I just got a a hint of a hint of that chowder. There was also a wild turkey pozole that was there. Um, pozole, kind of a, it was almost like a green chili or a chili verde, almost um, made with wild turkey. I didn't catch who made it. I didn't catch the name of the guy who made it, but dang, he had an, also an assortment of fixings that would go on top of it. I think he had some pickled relish or excuse me, radish that was up there. There was some cheese, there was some onions. That that dish did not need the cheese at all. It it needed you know, the onions really helped and the, the pickled radish really helped um bring out those flavors. But man, just alone with a chip and that pozole, that was an excellent dish. There was a little note card um, that looked like there was a recipe on it. In fact, I walked over and I pulled that uh, index card to see if that was the recipe, and I was going to totally snap a picture of that. And it was just a list of the fixings. He, he even called me out and said, Are you trying to steal that recipe? Yes. Anything good is worth stealing. Unfortunately, I didn't find the recipe for that. So the search continues on that wild turkey pozole. Anyway. That was a dynamite dish. Um, we had some straight-up venison wrapped in bacon, um, made popper style. Uh, those were excellent, too. And I brought my two dishes, both, um, well, one was wild game, the other was domestic. I, I did go domestic. I did break the rules um, just because we were going to be feeding a number of people. I bet you there were 30 people that showed up to this event, and I wanted to make sure that I had, or they had at least, enough food to eat. So my wild game ad was venison jalapeno poppers. I marinated the poppers in a little bit of lime juice and what else was in there? Apple cider vinegar. And by doing that, it mellows out the pepper because what I've done is roasted it. Now I've sliced it in half and I've take the pith out and I take the seeds out. They they contain a ton of that capsaicin, a ton of that heat. And so I marinated them in that to try and mellow those out a little bit. Then you take a little piece of cream cheese, drop that in. You've already pre-sliced some uh, venison on there. I seasoned it with a bit of pepper. But I didn't add a ton of salt because at the last stage, I ended up wrapping the whole thing in bacon and adding a toothpick to hold it all together. Enough of the sodium, enough of the of the um, smoke, and enough of the salt is going to come off of that bacon that you're not going to need to add any more salt to whatever game you're putting in there. So I just added a bit of pepper. Um, the results were, I thought they were excellent. And the crowd was half and half. Um, half the crew that loved hot really enjoyed the jalapeno. The other half, uh, they were a little bit uh, taken back by the spice that was still held inside that pepper. Even seated, 
even though the pith was taken out, it was still had a lot of kick to it. It was one where you had to take a bite up, bite of pepper, and it was going to hang with you for maybe 10 minutes. And if you just kept drinking your beer, you'd be okay. Um, a couple guys just couldn't handle it. Don't know what was going on there. Well, hey, while we got you here, thanks again for listening. Dustin, where can our listeners engage more with us? They can check us out on Instagram at Hunnivore. They can check us out on Facebook, The Hunnivore. Or send us an email at Hunnivore at gmail.com. We've also joined the Sportsman's Nation family of passionate outdoorsmen. Um, they come together with lots of great content. You can check out their website at sportsmansnation.com. They're also on Instagram and Facebook with the handle Sportsman's Nation. Um, in fact, if you check out their blog, we have a recipes already up. And they are a 2% for conservation company, which means as a business, they give 1% of their time and 1% of their earnings back to the wildlife and wild places that we love. I think that's pretty sweet. Anyway, back to the show. My second dish that I brought was a turkey knuckle. And I learned about this turkey knuckle while growing up at the turkey farm. I had some folks come in who were big barbecuers, um, as in like old school southern barbecue. And they were talking about knuckles, something that our farm had not heard of. So they had to explain to us that we use basically the kneecap, what we cut off of when we disjoint the drumstick from the thigh. There's a section of meat on there. There's, there's a, the end hard cartilage and the patella that we actually then take off from the th- <clears throat> from the thigh because it doesn't, I mean, it's going to be tough. It's going to be like a racquetball as far as um, tenderness when it, you know, you cook your thigh off. So we cut that off. Well, these folks were saying, well, we will buy these from you for whatever poundage you want or for whatever price you put on them. And so we started saving the, the knuckles and it got me thinking about it. So I actually, as they come back, I'm, I'm asking them more questions on how they cook them. Some of them go to the grill or the, the smoker and just put them on for a really long time. Just as long as their ribs, they own, they're letting them simmer on there real low and slow for, you know, several hours. Other guys are either putting them in the pressure cooker or some of them were, were frying them as well. The route that I ended up going was I wanted to take these knuckles and I wanted them to display the the wild potential behind them. That you can take a tough piece of meat, like a thigh and a drumstick. Kind of that my kicker was hopefully to get people to save those pieces of meat off their wild bird if they weren't already and how that we can turn this piece from a throw away or a I don't know we might as well grind this but turn it into something that is also desirable and with that kind of cut of meat low and slow is the way you got to go there's nothing that won't succumb to time and to heat so at that point we I put together a marinade And this marinade, I ended up finding from a friend in a dry packet. The only problem is, is I didn't want to, I didn't want to just get these packets and marinate it that way. I wanted to add something. I wanted to boost the flavor. 
And so that's where I found my lime, chili, and ginger marinade. And that marinade pairs uber well with light meats. And when I say light meats, I'm talking like your your whites. Like it could be either your either domestic pork or wild hog. It's going to pair really well with that. It's going to do really well with any type of poultry that you have. There's like a, you know, if you're doing something with pheasant, if you're doing something with quail, if you're doing something and wanted to change something up with your wild bird, your wild turkey, this was an excellent way to still maintain that poultry quality, but at the same time add a bit of flavor to whatever you're making. Um, started out with lime juice and I actually amped it up with a little bit of lime zest. You get those oils from the outside skin. You can really shave that off and it just boosts that citrus flavor. Citrus and turkey, they just go hand in hand. Um, for my chili, um, I could have gone dried red flake, but what I found was this fresh chili paste and it was in, um, one of the Asian aisles. In fact, it's got a big Asian name on it. I I can't read Japanese, or I'm, I'm assuming it's Chinese, but I, I can't read that. So anyway, it's fresh chili paste, and I put in a couple teaspoons of that. Um, it's got It's got a real good red pepper heat to it, but it's not one... It's not like a jalapeno that's going to take your face off. This is a, a little bit more mild, but at the same time, having that fresh paste really concentrated the flavor. Um, and then for my ginger, we use uh, minced up ginger. You can use the fresh stuff and, and um, chop it up yourself or throw it in the food processor. I found that there was already a minced uh, ginger in, in a tube, so I ended up uh, using that instead. A couple tablespoons tablespoons of that uh garlic of course had to be in there salt and pepper for just a bit of sweet there was a tablespoon of honey that i put in there and then for a green element something that was just a little like a fresh side of it something that paired well with the citrus i also had a bunch of cilantro left over from our taco night so i actually ended up uh mincing up a bunch of the stalks and a bunch of the the leaves of some cilantro and tossed that in. So mixing that all together gave a great medium so I could throw in. And given that that amount, I threw in like two or three pounds of these knuckles at a time. I had like four or five batches going. But I let those sit overnight. Longer is better, Um, especially with how tough this is. These uh, knuckles aren't necessarily thick, but they are definitely tough. If you were going to do something with um, your turkey thigh where you want to either create steaks or you wanted to um, have those go on the grill or even just roast it as a whole thigh, um, adding this type of marinade is going to do wonders. Uh, Turkey thigh is a little bit thicker. Uh, Marinade, by by rule of thumb, is going to only go about a quarter inch into the meat. And that's at the, at its best. Um, so getting full coverage, you're only going to get like a half inch um, into it. So there's going to be some some meat on the inside that doesn't get flavored by the marinade. At the same time, as you're make, if you're cutting steaks off, that'll be a wonderful setup, especially if you then um, perforate those out or use a, a meat mallet to 
to press those out. That'd be a great setup to use this marinade on that. Um, I could see this also being a dynamite rib rub where you marinate the ribs in this lime chili ginger and then set them on the grill, add your sauce afterwards. Um, yeah, end product. I ended up uh, doing 20 minutes in our Instapot. That's just an electric pressure cooker. Uh, so I gave it 20 minutes, and that was enough to get those through the stage of, hey, we are now fully cooked, but we're still really hard. We're still, we still need to relax. We need some more time. We need some more heat. And so I did them all up like that, then took them out to uh, the event where then we used, uh, we had a grill that was set up there, a grill, uh, a, what was it? What was that? Camp Chef. And I'll talk about that here in a minute. But anyway, it was this uh, Camp Chef grill um, and griddle setup. And on that grill box, I was able to turn that nice and low, uh, put those knuckles on there and just let those soften up, let them finish cooking up, brown out the outsides. And then you pop those things just like, like you would candy. They, uh, they're a nice soft chew. You do eat the cartilage that has now become really palatable. It's got a real good flavor to it. It's amazing to think that, wow, I can eat parts, <laughs> I can eat these parts that I normally wouldn't. Um, and there would only be the small patella, the only the small bone that would be left. I would equate the turkey knuckle to like a burnt end, like the where they've chopped off the um, the rib at, mo at that point, and they still throw those little morsels on. Um, on the grill and they have those burnt ends. That's what I could really um, kind of tie these knuckles into. And those turned out awesome. Those turned out to be an incredible hit. Yeah, it was domestic, but at the same time, it was a great segue to say you can use dark meat. You can use the toughest parts of the meat that you want on your wild bird as long as you can give it time and you can give it heat. Anything can become, uh, can become soft at that point. Um, but yeah, I was able to use a piece of equipment that was up there. Uh, Adam ended up picking it up for him and his family. It is, uh, the Camp Chef X series propane grill. And, uh, I only want to say just grill, but anyway, it's part of the X series. There's, from my little bit of research last night that I did on it, there's, there's two setups. There's the two burner and then there's the three burner. Um, the whole unit collapses up, either can fit into a bat, into like a case, or it can just slide into uh, the camper or truck or wherever you want to go with it. Um, runs off of, I believe, propane. I didn't see if it was a a dual fuel. I think it was just a just a propane based. But you've got a frame that sets up, and you've got two large burners. Um, it's almost like they've taken two turkey frying burners and stacked them together, at least side by side, giving you a huge platform to do a whole number of cooking on. Um, Camp Chef went one step further and made attachments for this grill setup. And you can get actually a grill box, and it sits on top of the, the burner itself. And through that, the heat radiates up through. You've got a grate, and you can then control the temperature fairly well. 
um, because I was doing these knuckles, I needed everything to be low and slow, so I was able to turn the knob down to just warm, and I was keeping right around 200 degrees, or at least that's what the little thermometer on the grill box was telling me. I don't know how accurate that is. I was just having to take it for its word. At the same time, it really was um, keeping that heat right where I wanted it. It was doing a good job with those knuckles as far as not scorching them. Um, I did get a couple flare-ups where I had enough of the fat drip down underneath, and just like with any propane grill, you know, you get liquefied fat, and it's going to start flaring up. Flared up, all I did was shut off the burner, close the top, and it would snuff out that burnout real quickly. Um, The construction of this item, too, it it locks on there, so you're not going to pull it off. It's not going to fly off on you. It's really a heavy-duty piece of equipment. On the opposite burner, they had the griddle. And again, a heavy piece of steel. Uh, they The guys were t- telling me they had already seasoned it, or they had probably put a, a slick of oil already on there and cooked that into it. Um, that also seemed very heavy-duty. I had seen this online a little bit, you know, just like any any camp chef or any like guy who loves to be out in the wilderness or be out camping and, and cooking becomes his mainstay. Uh, I really got excited about this product. This is a pretty neat thing. We're not endorsed by camp chef. We're not a sponsor or anything. I just happened to use that one piece of uh, piece of kit. And I was like, this thing is slick. So if you are looking to send me a gift, those are one of those things you can send or it's going at the top of my Christmas list this year for <laughs> for my camping needs. But anyway, that's a great product. If you are looking for a propane grill for either family camping or I think this would be an awesome add into any hunting trip or hunting camp. This is just a great piece that you can then throw in the back of the truck, throw in the back of the van, and then be able to pull out, easily set up, do whatever it is and cook for the masses. Um this unit, we did max it out. I had that whole grill box filled up with knuckles, and the other side, the griddle, was um, throwing out uh, walleye fillets. We had this puppy maxed out. At the same time, we were also feeding 30, 35 people. So when you get in a big, huge event like that, you might want to go to the three burner. But at the same time, the two burner, he, he held his own the whole time that we were there. But as we get into um, summertime here, it's now mid-June. We're getting into camping season, and that's one thing that uh, my family likes to do. So we're going to be shipping out here, actually our first voyage in our new camper, the new studio that I'm sitting in. Uh, The camper's heading up to the Upper Peninsula. Um, it's going to be my wife's first time up there and it's going to be my children's first time up there. And I'm excited to bring them to the true wilds of Michigan. Um, we always talk about going to the UP. We always talk about that, you know, we want to go up there someday. Well, this time we're, we're finally going up. Um, I'm, I'm having to pace myself a little bit because our children are all real young. We've got a five, a three. And a, well, a five, a two, and a one. So they're they're all real young. We're we're hoping to do up to the the bridge on our our 
first attempt and then find a camping spot up there. Um, kind of make that our halfway point. That'll be a day's worth. That's about, think, all that I'm going to get out of those three little guys. And then we'll continue on afterwards. Um, we're hoping to get to the Superior side up by Grand Marais. There's a, several camping sites up there, and so that's where we're, we're trying to head up to is is Grand Marais. And I'm having to hold myself back a little bit because I want to show, I want to show my wife and I want to show my kids everything. And I don't think that's going to be possible in that one trip. So what I'm finding is that there's going to have to be several return trips to the UP that I'm really excited um, to take my kids on. Not to mention that we haven't even been, I haven't even showed them everything there is in the lower peninsula. So we've got many more trips already in the books. But this year we're heading to the UP up near Grand Marais. We're going to want to hit the superior side. So that's going to be fun and exciting. Um, reason I say get into that is that um, you get into these camp, these camp setups, whether it's in your car camping and with a tent, or you're going to be um, pulling the full modern family like we are. We've got the 24-footer. Or you're going like extreme camping or, or glamping, and you've got the, the fifth wheel pull behind for uh, 35 feet or whatever. Um, food becomes a big part. At least for me, food and camping go side by side. Um, I try to make my make a big breakfast, and by the time that I've cleaned up breakfast, you know, we're throwing out lunch. And by the time that people are done with lunch, I'm already thinking about dinner and getting that started and getting coals fired up. Um, my, my, uh, passion now around camping kind of centers around that, uh, camp chef sort of setup or the, yeah, the, the camp cook. Um, and so I've got a style of cooking that I'm calling Chuck box style. Uh, we've got inside, we've got an oven and a stovetop, but it's such a small setup. And if you've ever cooked bacon on the inside of a camper, you end up smelling like bacon for the rest of the trip. So we try to keep most of the cooking outside. And by doing that, I do have um, a two-burner camp uh, camp stove that we use. But just on its own, the, the stove on its own usually would get, get either tossed on the picnic table, where now you're using up uh, eating space, we do have an outdoor table that I don't necessarily like to take up as well because, again, that's where a lot of stuff gets set down. We don't want to use that. And plus it's lower, so the, the kids are always around that. And we don't want to have hot grease, hot oil, flames near near the kids. Um, the tailgate would be a good spot, but again, I like to keep the tailgate free for other projects like putting chains back on bikes or... Um, being able to, to store stuff there, get equipment ready for the next fishing trip or whatever we're doing uh, on that particular camping trip. So what I've created is an actual box that holds everything that I need from spatulas to tongs to cutlery, cutlery to even some serving plates, uh, my griddle, my, um, my seasoned steel, pots and pans. I need a spot for all this to go. So I'm also not having to run into the camper to get anything and, and come back out with it. It's all right there contained. And it's that idea of a chuck box. 
or people have also called it a patrol box. If you look up Chuck Box, patrol box on YouTube, you will get an assortment of different videos and different styles that guys have put together. Um, some have gotten pretty um, wild and extravagant. Um, mine does get a little bit extravagant, but at the same time, it does become uh, very easy to tote around. It is heavy, and so I think that's the one downside to it. Um, I'm looking at probably, and these are rough estimates, foot and a half wide by maybe two feet tall and pro, you know, and roughly three feet wide uh, or long. And this box houses my stove, uh, all the pots and pans, like I said, that we had, the tongs, the, the seasonings, um, the, the grease, the oil, everything that we need for cooking uh, in camping is encased in this box. And as we're packing everything up, that's the last thing that gets slid in the door. And I even created a base that um, the base will sit on top. So then when we get to said campsite and we start setting up, we put the base out. I put this chuck box on top. The doors on the front swing open, and I've got two wings on the top that fold over, and those create a large uh, prep area so that I can then pull out the stove and leave the stove set up. It's high enough that the kids aren't going to get into it. I can close the wings to make sure that they're not getting into the the seasonings or the, the tongs or the anything else that's inside there. Staying away from the heavy cast iron. They can keep that all self-contained. Um, but at the same time, this unit is easy enough for two people to pick up, slide into the camper, slide out, and move it where it needs to go. A great serving spot. Um, to be or prep spot to be able to create whatever you're trying to make. Um, I know it's hard to tell over a podcast, but I, I'll need to get some photos out of the chuck box because I think that's kind of like one of the unsung unsung heroes of our uh, of our camping cooking is a place to do it and a place to store all of your stuff. Um, I've seen them go from super small where they can be contained inside of a canoe. Where you can pull it out and it's not necessarily a big stove, but maybe a single burner to all the way to where these guys are building them with a uh, truck dolly on the back where they're able to then wheel it around to where they need to go. It's more of an upright setup. Um, a lot of competition barbecuers have gone that route. Uh, they pull this out of their trailer and set it up next to their smoker. So that you could go huge or you can go even teeny tiny. Um... But yeah, having a chuck box is a great way to be able to cook in the outdoors. Along with that unsung hero idea is I uh, I really want to tip my hat over to the tripod. I feel that the tripod doesn't get any love. It's, it's a long lost uh, piece of equipment that people have gone with these. Um, either they go with the Dutch oven, the where they've got the hanger that swings over the fire and then can swing back. And that's a great idea. It's a great setup. But what I like about the tripod is that it's super versatile. It's merely a grate that you can change how high or how low it's over your fire. Easy to set up. It's just as it sounds. It's three poles that connect it at top of the, at a bracket and a chain that lowers a grate. I tell you, I I have perfected 
the tripod cooking. I can throw cast iron on top of the grate and be able to lower that down in. One of the toughest things about getting uh, cast iron out of the fire is actually getting a hold of the cast iron and not incinerating your hand. Yeah, you've got mitts, you've got different gloves you can wear, but it is super nice to be able to just raise up that grate and have the pan right there to where I can then, you know, flip the burger or I can, you know, slide the egg off or whatever it is and have that accessible, the tripod still taking the weight and I can, I'm free to be able to be the, be the cook at that point. Um, but it doesn't, you know, just for the pans and stuff, you can throw stuff directly on the grate itself. Um, I like it for also like uh, foil dinners or hobo uh, dinners where we're able to put our potatoes, our meat, our carrots, our, you know, whatever you want inside your foil dinner. And instead of throwing those into the fire and having, you know, the outer parts be just absolutely incinerated, I put them on the grate and then lower that grate down as far as it'll go. And having it right above uh, the coal the coal bed that's there, it does a great job at cooking that underside. But at the same time, I can raise that up out of the way, flip those over, and not worry about having to use a shovel to slide them out or use tongs to try and balance these things out. It holds them stable, holds them flat, and so everybody ends up with a great foil dinner, and they don't have to have the charred burnt one. Oh man, I felt like we've been yeah I've been talking here for for forty minutes. Didn't plan on this being a solo run, but anyway, here we are uh, having a solo podcast with me, myself, and I. I am gonna wrap this up with one final note. Is uh, not this week, but I believe the right around the twenty or the twenty second is going to be our one year anniversary of the Huntivore. We've been uh, putting out podcasts now for a full calendar year. Just like if you were to get paid 52 weeks um, weekly, or if you got a biannual paycheck at 26 weeks, we've done very well, at least in my book, as far as putting out an episode every other week, and we we are approaching episode 20. Six, So Dustin and I are both super excited about that. When we first started this project out, it was one of those things we had heard somebody say, if you get to episode 8, you're well on your way. And here we are at episode 26. One year uh, of of putting out podcasts. Um, we hope that you have enjoyed uh, joining us. And we want to keep more stuff coming to you. Um, we're going to, in fact, do our first giveaway. Um I've got a couple I've got some of those hats made up. Um the Hunt of War podcast hats. They're they're slick looking hats. I've been wearing one since I got them um early here in May and it's a great fitting hat. Um I really went went above and beyond as far as which hat I wanted. I wanted something I could wear every day and feel comfortable with. You know, I didn't want a low profile. I want a little bit higher setup. And so this hat um it's got the plastic adjustable in the back, which um, it's just wearing it, you know, kind of abusing it a bit and then changing how how tight I wanted it and just messing with it. It's really holding up. So it's a great hat to, to work with. We want to be able to give one of those away. 
and we're going to be putting it together a survey. Um, you know, we, we want to hear from folks who are listening. We want to hear from you on some specifics on what you want covered. What would you like to hear more from? Who would you like to hear from? Um, is there something that when you get to our podcast, you absolutely just hate, or is there something that you really love? And we want to know that. Also, one thing that I forgot to mention earlier, maybe it's cause I am a father, but it is currently father's day. So to all the fathers out there, happy father's day. You, uh, pass along a passion for the outdoors. You pass along a passion for hobbies and projects that your kids will see and will follow in your footsteps. We have a responsibility to pass along what we love, and I'm pretty sure that most of us who are listening to this podcast are doing that exact thing. We appreciate you, dads. Keep your knife sharp. 